0: Hey, Block AC, how we doing? That was one of the strangest intros that I've ever received for anything in my life. Uh, no, thanks for the kind words, Grant. Um, hey, thank you guys for coming out uh, another Thursday, uh, back together, um, very excited these, these Thursday nights. Uh, if it's your first time, um, just welcome, but uh, they're always a huge blessing, I know, to myself, uh, to my wife, you know, I get to meet many of you, we talk about life, about spiritual things, and, uh, and it's really just a time to talk about real things. And so, excited you're investing it with us. So, if we haven't met yet, like you said, I'm taken. My name's Luke Hoagland. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bailey's going to be thankful that you threw that in there, um, Grant. So, thanks for that. Um, some important information about me, um, as we get to know one another, is I graduated K through sixth from Green Springs Elementary School, Um, go Gators. Any Gators in the room? I am the only one who made it out of (laughs) K-6 from Green Springs. No, it's a great, great school. And many things are important about the elementary years. And uh, I mean, my wife is a first grade teacher, so she loves me because I often act like a first grade boy, works out really well for her and I. But one important aspect of elementary school is the playground. Often overlooked, you know, parents are wondering, man, how are my kids doing in classes? Like, they need to be asking how are they doing in recess because this is where kids are learning sports, you know, activities that they're gonna be doing for the rest of their lives. This is where I would say legends are born. <laughs> so I, I played baseball for many years and um, it really starts in elementary school. It starts with T-ball. Did anyone else play T-ball? in the room, yeah, we got, we got some T-ball players, not a lot, I'm surprised, I thought there would be more. Um, t-ball, they just put the ball on a tee instead of there being a pitcher. And so if you play baseball, that is where you start out at. And, and so I'm gonna share with you guys four of my friends' baseball careers, and it's gonna relate to what we're talking about tonight, I promise, so listen closely. My, my first friend, his name is Kyle, and I, I love Kyle. Kyle is a great dude, but if we're gonna be honest about Kyle, he was, really, really bad at t-ball. He didn't understand the simplest things like keeping your eye on the ball when you're hitting or he couldn't catch the ball and he couldn't really throw the ball either and he was very slow running around the bases. And that's about everything that you do in t-ball. So he he didn't work out well Uh, in t-ball, he didn't last long. Uh, If my memory serves me correctly, I don't think he made it to the next uh, step of baseball and uh, he wasn't interested and sticking around and gave it up. So my second friend, and this guy was very intriguing, is a kid, he's more of an acquaintance. uh, He goes by the name of Bobby Baseball. Bobby Baseball, and he got this nickname because he was, uh, uh, prior to any of the other kids, he was so interested in the game. He had the eye black at all times, basically. He had armbands up both arms and he had those fighting bracelets you guys remember those like they were kind of cool maybe in high school for some of you like they had magnetic strips that were good for your muscles he had multiple on his neck and um, and Bobby baseball he was was so interested in the game and he looked more of the part than anyone but what happens if you want to keep playing baseball in life is it gets competitive and so there's tryouts and so fifth grade comes along and Bobby and everybody is doing tryouts and Uh, Bobby makes the team, but it's actually the last team, which means it's the lowest competition, which is really sad for the kid who loves baseball more than anyone. At least he made the team and didn't get cut completely, but Bobby was discouraged, and actually he began to not like the game because he wasn't as talented as the people around him. It was frustrating, and Bobby gave up the game of baseball, was never to be Heard of again. That is way more dramatic than it needed to be. Um, He's probably working at Cerner somewhere. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, Third was a guy named Luke. Uh, Luke, he was really good uh, at baseball for for a while. Solid little baseball player, great grasp on the game. He played catcher and shortstop. And this was me. This is me, Luke. I played catcher and shortstop. And uh, I, I really loved baseball for a while. I was always improving. And um, actually, just a few days ago, my mom told me that I was a really good baseball player. So there you have it, confirmed. Um, and you have to start making some choices, however, in, once you get to high school, right? You have to, there's like different sports during the same season, and I played baseball and golf, and those are both in the spring. And so I made really the right decision. I played the sport that I was better at, baseball, freshman year, and uh, I had a lot of friends that were on the golf team, and they were talking to me about, hey man, like we were out at the golf course, just like relaxing during practice, and meanwhile, me at practice, I'm running triangles around this baseball field just over and over again for a sport that you don't need to be in good condition for. And, and so I'm like, this is, this is useless, it's pointless, and my interests were divided. I really wanted to be on the golf team, and so I, at that point in my life, sadly, I don't regret it, it's okay, I, I gave up the game of baseball, and I uh, played golf next spring. And so the last guy was a guy named Isaiah. Some of you guys might even know him. He went to Olathe South with me. Sophomore year of high school, he was not a great pitcher. And so no one really saw it coming, but he got his dad's height by senior year. He grew like six inches. He was six foot five or six foot six. And he put on about 20 pounds of lean muscle. And he's a lefty, so that's, that's extra valuable as a pitcher. And he became one of the best pitchers in the state Of Kansas, and now he's at the University of Arkansas, and I think this next year he is going to be playing with the Seattle Mariners, a major league baseball player. The guy made it to the major leagues; he, the dream came true, and he's one of the few major leaguers. Now, I tell you all of this not to brag on my baseball career, um, but it's in a way create a similar story or a parable that we're going to look at tonight, and um, it's the parable of. The sower. So maybe, maybe you have wondered why you or someone you know for some reason doesn't really get what the big deal with Jesus is. Or maybe, maybe you were interested in Jesus at one time, but you don't know why your interest has kind of faded. You're like, I'm not as interested as, as I would like to be, or know that I, I should be or ought to be. And maybe you've got a great grasp on theology, like you know the truth about the gospel. You know the truth about God, but when you take a step back and you look at your heart and your life and you know what it means to be a true Christian, it's just not there, it's not lining up, you don't see it in your own life. So tonight, God is gonna talk about in in, in his love for us that he wants to give us the most abundant, purposeful life possible, right? Like Nick talked about that last week And, and to get us to that place, to have this everlasting, purposeful life, he needs to reveal to us through this parable, some of the many conditions of our heart that hold us back from experiencing the life of Christ. So before we get into it, let me pray. God, we thank you for tonight and that a, a room full of young people, young adults would be in some manner interested in, in you and, and just in reaching out to others. And so I pray um, that there's just, there's many hearts, there's many different heart places where people are at, and I just want to pray over all of them, God, you are strong, God, you are majestic, and you are beautiful, and God, you are more powerful than uh, any other force, God, you're more powerful than the world and than Satan, God, so would you just, and your word, just pierce our hearts tonight and speak to us, God, in a fresh way. So I pray all in Jesus' name, amen. So before we get reading uh, the passage tonight, uh, like always in the Bible, context is extremely important. So we're going to talk about what is a parable. So you guys can see it here on the screen. Uh, a parable is uh, its just a story form. It's a use of relatable and commonly understood ideas to the day. And it's going to allude to deeper truth. So it's going to say things, but it's actually trying to say something even deeper. And so a definition of the word parable is to throw alongside of. So we're going to see this story, and as we read it, we're going to have to lean in. We're going to have to lean in to the mystery because the story, yes, it's important, but it's meant to show us some truths that are sitting right beside it. So a quick summation of the, uh, the timeline of events. I might have gone past it. Nope, you guys don't get a slide. Sorry about it. You can listen to me. So there's a quick summation of where Jesus is at right now in his ministry. So Jesus calls these 12 guys, you know, and they, they come follow him, and they have left their careers, they've left their families, and they're following Jesus and learning from him. And quickly, Jesus is amongst the crowds and the people, his disciples are with him, and he's healing people. He's doing all of these signs and wonders, healing the sick, casting out demons, restoring people, and and all sorts of supernatural signs that when you see it, you should say, this guy's not normal. Jesus is not normal, and in fact, if you get the right understanding, he's the son of God. He's the promised savior from God, the Father. And, and to this point, Jesus has taught openly. He's taught to big crowds, small crowds, and he's taught plainly as well. He's teaching about God's heart and design for humanity. He's, he's revealing sin and the destructive nature of sin, how it hurts us, how it hurts others, and it hurts our relationship with God. And so, over all this time, there's, there's some people who are beginning to follow him. There's some people who are believing Jesus At his word. I mean, they're seeing the signs so rightfully, they should, they should be like, this guy's something else. Maybe he is the Son of God. But by and large, most people aren't. Most people are not believing in Jesus. And so the chapter right before, we're we're gonna be in Matthew 13 tonight, so you can open up there if you've got a Bible. But in Matthew 12, what we see happen is Jesus starts to face a tremendous amount of opposition. An incredible amount of opposition he's doing the same things teaching plainly openly performing miraculous signs and what happens is this people called the pharisees they're religious uh jews and they're kind of this elite group and 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 their their deal is they're kind of threatened by jesus he's he's attracting people people are attracted to his message and so they're threatened and so what do they do they they decide to come up with this conspiracy and plot to kill jesus So chapter 12, you can look at it, Jesus heals this man who was oppressed by a demon, and the first tactic of these Pharisees is they say, Jesus is actually casting out these demons because he has the power of the prince of demons. And that's a really big thing to say. They're saying Jesus, the son of God in front of them, they're they're making up this lie that he actually gets his power from the opposite, from the evil one, from the devil. And so they're plotting to kill him, and this is really tripping up, the people right they're they're hearing these uh, you know different things from the pharisees and, and so what happens right before we read tonight to put salt in the wound the last thing right before chapter 13 is Jesus' own family comes up to him and they say what are you doing like we need to have a word with you what what is all this ruckus you're causing like the, even they you know his his mom was told by god that he's the son of god before he was born even his mom is like what are you doing like i don't really think you know what you're doing Even his own family is lacking faith in him. So that's where we pick up in Matthew 13. Read with me, parable of the sower. So that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So here's the setting. Just imagine Jesus parked out by the lake. He gets swarmed by huge crowds, thousands on thousands of people crowding around him, like a UFO just washed up on shore or something. And, and what happens is he steps out onto this boat, kind of distancing himself away from the crowd so he can project and teach them. And this is what he says. Let's keep reading with me. Matthew 13. And he told them many things in parables, saying a sower went out to sow seed. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell So now to us, we're, we're just young adults, we're in Kansas City, we're in Johnson County, we're like, we're, we're for the most part pretty city folk. There might be some people who are familiar with farming and sowing in the room. Anyone a farmer? Anyone like understand this? Yeah, nobody, okay, I guessed, I guessed right. So if you're like me, you might actually be learning some things right here. Like, oh, that's really interesting that like if you throw soil on the path, like birds come and eat it, you know? Th- that's me, I- I'm learning things right here. And so don't be alarmed, this, this is not normal stuff for me, but what we have to realize in the context here is everyone that Jesus was talking to at this time got it. They understood every word Jesus was saying right here. It's, they came from an agricultural society. If you had any amount of land, you were farming. And if you didn't have any land and your neighbors did, you were getting your, your produce, you were getting your stuff from the farm. And so they're walking by people farming, sowing seed all of the time. So the crowd is really reacting more in a way like, uh, okay, like tell me something that I don't know, Jesus. So Jesus was, he was using this familiar idea, right? He's using this familiar idea and, and it should beg the question for them and for us, why Jesus, why all of a sudden are you teaching in this way? So let's, let's keep reading, next verse. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? So this is great. The glad the disciples asked the question. We were wondering as well. Jesus responds here with this answer. And be warned, it's a lot of words. So he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. He's talking to the disciples, kind of away from the crowds now. He says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have... Even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear or understand. The next couple of verses in your Bible there, it'll talk about how there's this prophecy from Isaiah. It was 600 years prior to this. And it prophesied this exact moment where Jesus would be right before people, the son of God, right before their eyes. And they would miss it. They would look at him and not see him for who he was. They would hear the Son of God speaking these things and not hear for who he was. So one one thing is for sure, yes, that's a lot of words, but I do want to sum up what he is uh, saying here. He's actually got two different purposes for the parables in his answer, and it's for two different crowds. Um, So the two audiences here are, the first is the disciples, So the disciples, you don't don't only think the 12 disciples, there are some other people that were following and learning from Jesus. And so these disciples are people who believe and the purpose for them is to reveal mysteries, reveal mysteries about spiritual realities. Jesus, for those who will listen to him, he wants to give them more and more and more. Says, you're listening to me like, I'm going to give you good things, give you good teaching so that you understand and know who I am. And the second purpose, or sorry, the second audience is the crowds. It's those who doubt. They they don't believe. And the purpose for this group is actually to hide truth. Now, you might be like me initially, and you're like, that doesn't sound like Jesus, right? Like, that doesn't sound very kind. That doesn't sound very loving. That Jesus on purpose all of a sudden is teaching in a way that some people can understand and some people won't. But that's what it says here. But if we remember back to the context, everything that's going on here, these crowds have had opportunity after opportunity and sign and miracle after miracle to respond, and what is happening? They keep asking for more. So Jesus, he changes the approach. When, when he's laying things out there plainly, what has he got? He's got this conspiracy of people trying to kill him. He's got these huge crowds of people not really even listening to him and still doubting so Jesus, being wise, he begins to teach these parables that can be understood by those whose intentions are, are truly to listen. If, if you really want to listen to Jesus, he will teach you. But for those with evil motives and, and hard hearts and, and, and impure motives towards it, they're going to be able to hear and see Jesus teach. But Jesus says that he's not going to let them understand. So we've got parables down. That's the purpose. We're going to get back to the text here. Jesus is, he's away from the crowds. He's with his disciples. And read with me here in verse 18. So it says, "Here then the parable of the sower. He's going to explain it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately they receive it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a little while and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of that word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So person number one, we're going to get right into the soils tonight. Um, uh, Actually, first, we're going to talk about the elements of the parables. We're not going to skip past that. So there's three elements. There's the sower, and the correct answer to this is the right Bible school answer. It's, It's Jesus. Yes, he is the sower, but it's also anyone who would share the gospel. You could put yourself in the shoes of the sower as well if you're a believer in sharing the gospel. The second element is the seed, so it's, it's the message of the kingdom, it's the message of salvation, it's the good news that there is one true God, and like Nick taught on last week, he's for you, he wants good things for you, and and Nick, and Nick explained it really well, he wants the best, most abundant life for you, and he says that you, you can be a part of his family, of his everlasting kingdom, if you will turn to him from your sin and trust in Jesus And lastly, the third element is the soil. And you can just know the soil is the human heart. So soil number one, we're going to call this one, if you're taking notes tonight, it's the hard heart. Soil number one, what was sown along the path. So this person, they, they hear the gospel message, they hear the message of salvation, they don't grasp it, this person doesn't understand they're a sinner in need of a savior, they react in ways like, man, I don't believe that stuff, or I believe there are many ways to God, there couldn't just be one, or they say, Jesus was really you know, cool, he had good teachings, I'm following, along and following him around and listening to him, but at the end of the day, I don't really totally get the big deal. So this one, it's sown it's along the path, and what happens on a path? Right, it's just day after day just getting trodden on, getting walked on. And so this person has been hardened. Paths are the hardest soil. They've been hardened by the world, by sin, by the hurt of others, by lies, by indoctrination. They look around and they look at their life and they say, I don't see how things could possibly be different than this, possibly be better than this. And there's no way there could be a God who's in control and who loves us. And notice how it says, the, um, we'll go back to it. No, oh, I didn't go to it. There we go. Notice how it says, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Jesus explains for that person, it doesn't see their need for a Savior, that, uh, you know, they don't understand the message of salvation. The truth of this person's heart is that when that gospel seed is sown, that the devil, the, the Satan, actually comes and takes away that seed from their heart. It can't go into the soil, it's hard. This idea is, is further, further explained in another verse, Second Corinthians 4, 4, and it applies directly. The, Paul, or the Apostle Paul says, in their case, the God of this world, or Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. C.S. Lewis, love the guy. C.S. Lewis said in a book called Screwtape Letters, he defines something as Satan's perfect project. It's, it's fascinating. And he calls, he calls this type of person actually a materialistic magician. There's a lot more reading and stuff that you can uh, read on. I'm not gonna explain it all tonight. I would highly recommend it though. Um, but it says that Satan's perfect work is causing a man to lack any true understanding of the spiritual realm and to not worry about their own spiritual condition. And and I just wanna ask, if I could be so bold to ask, is this you tonight? Like, are you this person that you you don't get the big deal about Jesus? You never thought you need saving from anything. You still don't get it here tonight that it's not, your enemies aren't the other people in this room who'd believe different things from you. Your enemy is Satan. He's the God of this world. He wants you to fall to destruction, to die. He wants you to believe anything else, anything else other than your need for salvation and that Jesus is the answer. He wants you to never see the light. And, and one, if, if this is you and you are here, just wow, like consider even for a moment why God has brought you here tonight. I think what God wants to and his desire and his heart to communicate to you is that this doesn't have to be the state of your heart forever. It doesn't have to be the state of your heart for another minute. It doesn't have to be the state of your heart past tonight. You can ask God, you can seek God to let God open up my eyes and ears and heart to understand the whole big deal about Jesus. <laughs> if you humble your heart in that way, God can do an incredible work in your heart know that all things are possible with God. There's a second soil tonight, and we're gonna call it the superficial heart. Soil number two, what was sown on rocky ground. So as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and they immediately receive it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But he endures for a little while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of that word immediately, he falls away. See, this, this person, uh, before we get there, this person, they've heard the message of salvation and it says they receive it with joy. So they, it seems like they get it. They see that it's a good thing. I'm, I'm desperately in need of a savior and, and there is a savior and he can save me from my sins. So they just respond accordingly with exceeding joy. There's a solution to their problem. So what do they do? They prayed a prayer. They signed a card. They, they got baptized. Perhaps their life begins to change in some outward ways. They quit drinking. They quit smoking. They changed their Instagram bio to John 3.16. There's some sin in their life they don't commit anymore. They start attending church. They start coming to the block on Thursdays. They join a Bible study. They stop sleeping around. Things get cleaned up in their life, but... What does it say? This person eventually and immediately falls away. But why? It's because he has no root in himself. He endures for a little while. Just a little while. In tribulation, hard things, persecution, people attacking his beliefs, they arise on account of the word, and he falls away. There was a well-known sower, if you will, in the 1700s, a guy by the name of George Whitfield. Shout out, Whitfield Academy. I know we got a couple of those uh in the room yep and uh so george whitfield he was kind of like billy graham if you know who billy graham is he traveled the world and filled up you know rooms like this stadiums gymnasiums and he would bring the message of the kingdom the word he would preach the gospel to these massive crowds and every time afterwards people would come up to him and they would say george how many people do you think got saved tonight how many what was the count on the amount of baptisms What, what was what happened?" And he would always respond the same way, and I love this. He says, "We'll see." He says, "We'll see. We'll see in two, three, five, 10, 20 years. We'll see what happened. He understood the truth of this parable that there are many who will seem to love it. There will many who will who, who, seem to love the gospel message, but sooner or later life will get hard, right? And there will be challenges that no longer make it easy for them to believe the things that they believe. This sits really close to home with me. Maybe it does for some of you. I I went to K-State, and I had two of some of my best friends, sophomore year of college. we Man, we were all growing in our faith. And uh, one in particular, man, he pumped me up. He pumped me up to share Jesus, to share the gospel with people. We were praying together. We met every single Saturday morning for uh, almost an entire year just confessing sin to one another. This guy knew everything about me, and I knew everything about him until one time, one Saturday morning, he was talking to me and the other one of our little triad, and he said he didn't want to do it anymore. He had been struggling for a long time, openly, really, with pornography and lust and physical sin with girls and he essentially just said to us, it's too hard to do this anymore. He's like, and he told us, he says, I cannot fake it any longer. <laughs> it stung and it still stings right now as I you know, I've prepared this message and said this and I'm saying it again. It, it, it do, you don't get over it. It hurts, but Jesus here is saying that this is something that will happen. You shouldn't be surprised by anything. And it begs the question, are you faking it. I was completely fooled. We can be completely fooled. Are you faking? Is it possible that you're superficial? Has there been spiritual fruit in your life? It does you no good and it doesn't do any single person any good to fake it. And what's true, this is important, what's true of this type of person is they they go to church. They maybe belonged to a local church anywhere from a few months to 20, 40, 60 years. And it's always just been easy. It's always been so easy. They can show up Sunday mornings. They can be in their Bible studies. They can read their Bible regularly, get into that routine, and they're so consistent that no one even bats an eye at them. It's just easy. They've got a good job. Their perceived needs are taken care of. Life is easy. Sophomore year was a big year for me spiritually, and this was the first person that I shared the gospel with. Sophomore year, and his name was was Blake. And so I share this illustration called the bridge, and I, I share how Jesus is you know Jesus is, is the answer to sin. He gets us to God. and This is the message of salvation. And and at the end, I give him a chance to respond, and he goes into his life story, and he says, "Man, I was you know I grew up in a Christian home." He says. Uh, in high school, I went to this retreat, and man, it was amazing. I, I just confessed my sins before God, and, and man, you know what he said next? He said, since then, it's just been easy. Life's just been good. If anyone has told you that, that the Christian life is just easy, <laughs> they either haven't lived it, or they're lying to your face. The, lo- the Christian life is hard. Let me tell you what happens to Christians. Christians have many troubles. They lose babies, they lose friends, they lose jobs, they- and their families get cancer and diseases. A preacher of mine said it, a favorite preacher of mine said this really well. He said, Christianity will give you plenty to worry about, but it'll also give you the solution to worry so that you don't have to worry anymore, you don't have to be controlled by your worry. You're gonna live with God forever. You're gonna be with God for eternity. Death loses its sting. This life is just a mist in a vapor. It's so short. So the Christian will happily suffer the loss of things in this life because they'll spend forever with their savior in God. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, same chapter as that verse we read earlier. It says this, for we, the Christian, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, we're all slowly dying. If you didn't realize that our inner self is being renewed day by day. It says this light momentary affliction, this life that it's hard, it is hard, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison how good heaven with God and eternity with God is gonna be doesn't even compare to how hard this life is. It's So much better. And if you've been living this life, this one foot in, one foot out, one foot in when it's convenient, one foot out when it's not, hear that being a Christian is binary, you are or you aren't. The Bible doesn't give way for someone who's kind of a Christian. It's not in there, you can read the whole thing. You don't have to sit on that fence. You don't have to straddle that line any longer living half in, half out, double-minded, two-faced life. You weren't meant to. No one is asking you to live that life. No one wants you to live that life. Jesus especially doesn't want you to live that life. So all you can do is trust wholeheartedly in Jesus. Come before him with your entire heart and say, Jesus, it's, it's yours. I'm, I'm done trying to be this Christian, make me this Christian. I can confidently say all that because I can firsthand tell you what it's like to have a superficial heart, and probably like many in here as is, is well. Man, um, I, I got really, really good at managing everyone's perception of me. I had my family, you know, loved what I was. My friends, you know, they, they loved what I was. My, my church friends loved what I was. My school friends loved what I was. I was. My reputations were all spick and spam. I was an expert at it. And I had many emotional experiences. I prayed to receive Christ so many times. And it was awesome every single time, you know. It's like the emotions were real. But truly, in my heart, I didn't desire to be the person God commanded me to be. It was because my heart wasn't changed, I was superficial. And Jesus, it's clear, there's hope for anyone in this superficial, two-faced life. There's hope for you, but you gotta be brutally honest with yourself. And you might have to be brutally honest with some of your friends and some of the people right next to you, someone here tonight even. Bring your sin and your true spiritual condition, condition to the light. God can absolutely do a work with that humility. I mean, what an amazing thing for someone to confess this life of just faking it, right? And come to God and say, have it all. That's the second soil. The third soil tonight we're going to call the divided heart. This is soil number three. It's what was sown among the thorns. Read with me. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is someone, their heart is distracted. They're consumed by the world, all the things of the world. This person is just like the second person they're in church, they're at the block and they've got the house and they've got everything they need they got the cars they got the things they got the job and they're busy and and what do they do they just they compartmentalize their christianity right they they live their weeks how they want to and then they come they show up and they need a little bit of food for the soul so they can feel good about go doing going and doing it all their way once again this person is admired well respected they have it all, they have it all, but this is saying that they have too much. The soil's too fertile, it grows everything. It does everything, all the while not realizing that the other things that they give their life and time to are choking out the gospel that was sown in their heart. Same preacher, favorite preacher of mine, he, he says this. All the time. He says, We can run this life hard. We can live fast. We can keep it all together. We can keep our mortgage. We can keep our bills paid. We can reach the finish line of retirement, and then we will die in our sleep, and our kids will enjoy our stuff. That's the truth of this person's heart. It's deceived, it's worried, it's so worried about unnecessary things, wealth and possessions when it comes down to it is their security and their identity. If you were to rip that all back, (laughs) just imagine that you're ripping it all back, all of the stuff in their life, you rip it away and you look in there and that seed of the gospel is just sitting in there and it's got nowhere to go. It's had nowhere to go for so long because they're consumed. It's got no air to breathe, no water gets to it. It's consumed. It can't grow into anything that produces spiritual life or fruit. And and this this heart is described as uh, falling and being choked by thorns. Thorns, when they grow around something, they will slowly, slowly draw close and then they will wrap around it again and again and again and grip tighter and tighter on your heart until any spiritual excitement, any spiritual thought is just decimated. There's no chance of life. This is why Jesus, just a few chapters later in chapter 19, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, truly I say to you, only with difficulty a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about the same thing, the kingdom of heaven. There's a good chance, by and large, that wealth and the possessing of many things, and the exceeding pride and security that a person can, I I can see it. I mean, I want to find security and be proud of my wealth all the time. I can see it, and it just chokes out the gospel message in a person's heart. And this isn't me telling you to quit the paper chase. It's Jesus. (laughs) It's the Son of God. He says it's going to ruin what he wants to plant in you, what he wants for you, the abundant life. We've got a fourth soil tonight. Praise God. Soil number four, what was sown on good soil? It's the fruitful heart. Read with me. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, they understand it. And indeed, he bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another case 30. It's good. Soil. This is the only soil Jesus calls good. It's the only one. Some key differences in the soil is they hear the word and they understand it. It's the only one who seems to understand it fully. What results from someone who in their heart understands it? The seed indeed grows into a fruit bearing plant and it yields. When good soil, uh, or when this good soil person responds to the gospel, they hear it, they understand it, and it permeates their life, right? It stretches out its roots all over its heart and its life in that soil, and it completely changes the landscape, right? It shoots up, and it grows up into the world, and the seed achieves its purpose, not by being just a great-looking stalk of wheat, but by planting more seeds on the soil around it. It's infectious to the soil around it, And, and now I don't I don't mean to have the conversation tonight about, hey, Luke, so the first person is like not saved, and the second person, they are saved, and the third person's like, are they kind of saved? Now, I'm not gonna make those distinctions, but it's important that you just come before God with your heart right now and and look at these soils. What soil am I? What's clear and what's definitely conversation worthy is Jesus is not commending soils one through three, right? Right? He's not saying, hey, be those soils. You could could just be those soils if you wanted to. Jesus says, be the fourth soil. Be the good soil, the soft heart. There's two camps of hearts. Jesus talks about there's three that deny, and they don't ever flourish. And there's the fourth heart that flourishes into exactly what Jesus promises an eternal life, and a fruitful life, an abundant life for someone who trusts in him. There's a good chance everyone in this room knows a fourth soil, I hope you do. If you don't, there's some in this room, I can tell you that, I've gotten to know many fourth soils uh, in here. That person, when you think about them, they, they get it, right? They're, the gospel is not just something that they approach on Thursdays or Sundays, it's something that lives out every single day out of their heart, and it's the person that you go to when times get hard and you're struggling and you need prayer. It's the person that you know that they're just gonna be talking about Jesus with somebody. Go to this fourth soil person. If you're unsure, go to them. They're in this room. We're going to have some at the back after this. And man, open up your heart. They can help you come before God. You know, this, this person, they've let the Spirit of God take up residence in their heart and life, and they yield, they produce fruit the fruit of the Spirit of God, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of these things mark their life, but it's not only that. You look at their life, and their life is infectious. It reproduces. It shares that same thing. They didn't grow up into a great stalk of wheat just to look great for the people around them. God raise them up into a great stock of wheat so that he could use them to help others spiritually grow. Now we're gonna enter a time of response here and song the, the band, you guys can come up. Um, we're gonna have the opportunity to declare God's greatness, his goodness, and prayerfully ask him to take our hearts and make us into the fourth soil and its fitting. And this, this passage really begs us all to ask the question tonight, which soil Am I? So in summary, there's four ways people respond to the gospel. They're hard-hearted and they're closed to Christianity. They, secondly, they accept it when it's convenient, but are superficial and eventually fall away. Number three, they accept it until they are consumed and divided by the world and its riches. And the fourth is the fruitful authentic Christian and at the block, we are so clear on this every single week. We want you to know that wherever, you at, wherever you're at, whatever type of soil you are, you are created by a God who loves you and he's crazy about you. You're separated from him by your sin. You don't want to worship him. You actually want to be him and you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. For thousands of years, People would sacrifice animals. They would kill animals as a sacrifice so that they could put it as payment for their sins so they could feel good and close to God. God said enough. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he lived, he lived a perfect life for 33 years with huge opposition, as we saw. And then he died the death that you <laughs> and I Deserve for your greed, for my lust, for your anger, for my control. He died for that, he died for you. And he's shown us that he can give us this life, not only the great life here in the now, but the everlasting life because when he died, he rose from the grave. Romans says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead can live in you. And just as God raised him from the dead, he can give life to you right now now by giving you the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the seed that we talked about in this entire message and it's been sown. He who has ears, let him hear. What kind of soil will you be? Let me pray that we and you would be the fourth soil. God, your word is good. God, you've chosen to reveal yourself to us, not just to show that you are mighty, but God, to show us that you are love, and God, we're so grateful. I pray over all of the hearts, and then imagine what you could do with this room of 160 people who are just, would come before you with their heart, all the stalks of wheat that would grow they were permeated by your life and they would be sowing the seed of the gospel. It was just a movement of your kingdom that could be so glorious and it's an an invitation to us all and and I pray that we all would see that tonight. As we sing these songs to you, God, let our hearts be true and honest before you. Pray all in Jesus' name, amen.